Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We continue our series in the book of Psalms as Pastor Joel preaches from Psalm 8 with his message, The Song of the Name. My name is Joel Woodard. I think I know just about everybody here have met you. Uh, We're glad that you're here this morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of Psalms. Uh, Today we come to a psalm. It's the first praise psalm in the book of Psalms. Uh, It's on the edge of a bunch of laments. So uh, Psalm 3 through 7 are all laments. And then as like a ray of sun, Psalm 8 uh, comes in. It's only got nine verses, so I'd like to begin this morning by reading those. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, you can stand with me. It'll be on the screen, but if you need to find it in your pew Bible, it's on page 420. Page 420 in the Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one uh, home. And let me read Psalm this morning. To the choir master, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We'll stop right there. Let's let's pray. Lord, as we come to this beautiful song of of praise that in uh, a world, and even for David, a time of Um, struggle and being pressed from every side to have this psalm burst forth. So Lord, as we spend time here this morning, as we consider your words, as your words get in us this morning, Lord, what comes out of us be praise to you, that we would know you better, that we would love you better, Lord, that we would feel uh, the amazing grace and truth that you have given us even through this one little psalm. And so Lord, open our eyes so we could see, Lord, open our ears that we can hear, soften our hearts this morning. Lord, as we just spend a few minutes in this psalm, would it, would it change us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, psalm 8 is a, it's a, it's a very beautiful psalm, and it's actually quoted a lot in the New Testament. And I, I think Psalm 8 is one of those songs that could be layered after layered of every generation to, to take up this psalm and pray it and feel it for themselves, including ours. Uh, and, and the reason that is, I think, is, be, is because it finally, it, fills, uh, it finds its fulfillment in, in Jesus. And we'll see that. That's what we'll get to uh, this morning. But before we even uh, get there and get into our text, I, I want to set it up by giving you two stories, two biblical stories that I think we need to have on the front of our mind as we consider this, uh, this psalm. 
the first story you might be very well familiar with uh, begins with in the beginning. When the God of the universe creates the world from nothing. He like speaks into it and there's light. And he, he makes the, the trees and the bushes and the mountains and the valleys. Uh, he makes the, the animals, the huge bears and lions and puts in the water below these, these fish and huge sea creatures. Uh, everything, this, this God who has made the stars and the moon and the sun, everything then comes down to the earth that he's created and he gets his hands dirty. He, he shapes from uh, the dust of the ground uh, this, the form of a man, Adam, a, a man. And, and into Adam, man, uh, he breathes into him the breath of life and he becomes a living creature. Uh, into, into man, into this this dust, there's actually two Hebrew words that are playing on each other. Uh, Adam, it means man or humanity, but it could also mean earthling because he takes uh, Adam from the Adomah, which is the word for ground. He, he takes from the ground, he makes a man. So, so, so this, basically this bag of dirt that he's breathed into, uh, he then uh, gives him life and then brings all of his created uh, creatures, brings him to the man for him to name. As he sees the stars and the universe and the skies and the mountains and the waters and everything, the God of all creation comes down and walks with this man, this dirt fellow. And I just imagine what it must have been like for, for Adam and Eve as they walked with God. Like, who are, who are we? What, what am I? That, that you would give me this gift of all of cre creation. Like, you say, go. Have dominion. Rule over it. Have, have fun. Bring my creativeness to the rest of the world. G just go. And be like, what am I? Who are we as these, these dirt bags, these dirt fellows, to be walking and having rule and dominion with the God of creation? Well, it doesn't take long before Adam and Eve uh, go puff out their chest a little bit and go, I think we can do this ourselves, and we don't really need God. They turn their back on God, and because of that sin and rebellion, God shoots them out of the garden. And so that re reflection of God in, in these hu humans, these people made of like dirt and breath, uh, they're outside of the garden, and you're like, oh, where's, the, where's the majesty of, of God? But God's not done with these dirt people because from them he chooses one guy and gives him this special name, uh, Abraham, and says, I'm going to call you out from your people and I have a, a special place for you, a land. I'm going to give you a name and you're going to be a, a blessing to all the nations. Uh, so, so he brings Abraham and his wife to this special land and says, your family is going to be great and you're, I'm going to bless you and all this land I'm giving you rule and have dominion over. We're, we're almost like back to the garden again. But we find out that his wife, he, she can't have babies. And, and so they begin to doubt a little bit. Well, is God really true? Is he really there? 
And then the land that they're living in has a famine, so there's no food produced. So they actually leave their land and go down to Egypt where they hear there's food. And because of this fear that Abraham has, because he thinks, I don't know if the God of the universe is actually there for me, so I think I have to pick up myself with my own bootstraps and I got to figure this out. And so he goes down to Egypt and and he gives away the land and says, I'm no longer going to live there. And he's going down to Egypt, and even there he gives away his wife as like, oh, she's just my, my sister. And you're just like, oh, how tragic. That God had given humanity this, this special ability to, to like display his glory in the world and how often they've turned away and away. But, but it's actually through uh, those dirt people, those humans that God wants to display his majesty in the whole world. Just like God was pleased to display his majesty through the weakness of Adam and Abraham, today we're going to see in our psalm that God uses the weakness of humanity to display his majesty. God uses the weakness of humanity to display his majesty. Now that seems backwards, at least to me it does. I mean, isn't it my strength, my abilities, my skills that what makes things progress forward? We're to be people of power and goodness in the world. Isn't it the things that I accomplish and that I do? It's not my weakness and failures, is it? I mean, how can God use the weakness of humanity to display his glory? It doesn't make sense. Well, that brings us back to Psalm 8. This praise that breaks forth like the sun after a long winter of rain. There's a rhythm in this song that repeats twice. You'll see every, all these songs are put together with such sophistication and, and beauty. And the rhythm of this song in Psalm 8, it's going to do t- two things. It's going to repeat it twice. It, it has our eyes look up to the heavens, and then in an instant we look down to humanity on the earth. And then it'll get our eyes back up to the heavens, and then we'll look back down to humanity on the earth. This, this rhythm of this pattern that, that compares the majesty of God in the heavens to humans on the earth and how they display and reflect through their weakness the, the majesty of God. So Psalms 8 begins on page 420. If you want to look in your Bibles, you'll see the very first and last verse. It's formed something called an inclusio. It's like bookends, uh, which kind of says this is a, a unit and this is kind of what it's about. If you look in verse 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How many of you have a song in your head? And you're going, yeah. So, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you get down to the very last verse, again, you'll see, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So this psalm, whatever, whatever's in the middle, it's bookend on both sides by the majesty of the name of the Lord in all the earth. This song has to do with the majesty of God on earth, right here. But the first thing, I want to make a little observation, kind of get us all on the same page. Uh, We need to know what the name of the Lord is, the name of the Lord. Uh, It's actually in this chapter, though we don't often see it because of some translation things. If you look uh, on Lord and Lord in your Bibles, you'll see one Lord is all capitals, And the next Lord is just a capital L and then lowercase o-r-d. Now, now some of you have known this before, and and hopefully many of you have. uh, But if you you haven't, I just want to point point these things out. This Lord and Lord, they're actually two different Hebrew words that we translate 
the same word in English, which is kind of un unfortunate. Uh, there's a long history of why we, why we do this, though, that if you're interested, we can kind of unpack, but there's whole books written on it if you're really interested. Uh, Lord and Lord. The first, uh, the first Lord, the lowercase l Lord is the word Adonai in Hebrew, and it means master or owner. Master or owner. It's a title of something, like Lord of the house. He owns the house. Uh, the first Lord in our uh, verses today, though, the all capital L-O-R-D, that's actually the name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. So Yahweh is his name. Adonai is his title. Now Yahweh, the name of the Lord, is super important in the Old Testament. Uh, God revealing his name to humanity is, is huge, and he does it all the time. Do you know the name Yahweh is used 6,826 times in the Old Testament? Do you believe that? And as you read it, you don't actually notice it because instead we get the L-O-R-D, all, all capital letters. It's central to the story, and it's central to our, our psalm today. The, uh, the name of the Lord, Yahweh, displays His majesty today, and we'll see in the weakness of humanity. Yahweh displaying His his majesty through the weakness of humanity. Now, if you know the name Yahweh and you've, you've, you've read the Bible and you've studied it, and you know, oh, Yahweh, I know where I connect that at. It's back in Exodus 3 uh, when uh, this guy named Moses, it's revealed to him. So let me do, let's just picture that just for a minute because we need this one other story in the back of our minds. This is a guy named Moses. He's 80 years old. So he's up there in age, not quite as old as a couple of the people in the back, but he's up there, 80 years old. Uh, he's lived a long life. I mean, he's, he's lived a very long, uh, long life. The first half of his life, he was in like the Pharaoh's palace. With, he had everything he wanted. I mean, he was, up, he was up there and good. He ends up killing this Egyptian and then thinking he's doing right. And then all of his people turn on him. Like, Are you going to kill us too, Moses? And then he gets afraid because he's thinking, oh, man, now I'm dead because I'm a murderer. And so then he runs off because he's afraid. And he runs to the wilderness where no one is and no one sees him. And he gets this job uh, watching sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. This guy who started his life off, man, I got this thing, uh, to, to all of a sudden he's a murderer and he's a coward. He's run away and everyone's forgot his name. No one knows who he is. He's in the wilderness all alone watching sheep. Now that's where we get this image at. He's in the wilderness all alone. And if you've ever been in the wilderness all alone and you look up at the night sky, you see more stars than you've ever seen in your life. And that's, that's Moses' life as he's out in the wilderness, uh, seeing just the amazing creation out there. And then he sees this one bush on fire, and it's like not burning out. It's like just keeps burning. So it's interesting. So he goes over, and then from that bush, he hears God call to him. He says, Moses, Moses. Can you imagine after, after 40 years of being forgotten, feeling like the best years of my life are behind me. I got nothing else to offer. I'm a, I'm a murderer. I've been betrayed. I've been rejected by my own people. I have nowhere to be. No one knows who I am anymore. In the wilderness for 40 years, and God speaks to him. Moses, Moses. And he says, he says, he says, he says, me, 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 Lord? I, I, 
I can't even like talk. Like I'm stuttering now. And he's like, I want to send you to rescue my people. Me, broken me, this bag of dirt. Me, Lord, if I go, like they're not, they're not even going to listen to me. So I need to carry another name. If I, if, they, if I go and I say, uh, God sent me, they're going to be like, well, what's his name? He says, tell them the name is, and this whole story goes on, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. He says, Give, tell them the name of Yahweh sent you. Yahweh. And so this broken, like seemingly discarded, all alone, sinful, murderer, betrayed, cowardly man carries the name of God to the Egyptians and the majesty of God is displayed through the ten plagues, and then finally as Israel is brought to freedom through the Red Sea. The name of Yahweh. Moses. Me? Who, who me? Well, this brings us up to our text today in Psalm 8, and I would like to consider how God's majesty is displayed in all the world in this psalm. God's majesty, His name given to weak humans to reveal his majesty in all the earth. Psalm 8. So let's, let's begin. We'll start hearing some rhythm of the song. I'll spare you from singing, but hopefully you'll hear the, the beat along the way. Uh, verse 1b, the second part of the first verse. The first thing the psalmist does is gets our eyes up to the heavens. It says, you have set your glory above the heavens. You can imagine David looking to the night sky as a shepherd out in the wilderness, uh, seeing all the stars out there and going, how big is this God? You've set your glory, your weight, your importance. It's, e it's even higher than what I'm seeing out there. This, this heavens, the stars, the galaxies, the solar system. It's hard, it's hard to comprehend. Well, I'm no uh, astrologer. Is that right? We're looking at the stars. I'm no astrologer. Astronomer. Ah, thank you. I'm no, astro <laughs> I'm no astronomer, but I did a little research. Uh, there are 100 billion stars in a galaxy. 100 billion stars in the galaxy. And, and each star probably has its own, like, planets and moons and like asteroids and all of, all of that. So 100 billion stars in the galaxy. And I think, well, how much is one, uh, 100 billion? So here, here's just a little uh, example. If you, if you wanted to count to 1 billion, and you, one, like 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, so it one, just 1 billion, if you wanted to do that, and you could count one unit every second, so that's like 1, 2, 3, like all the way, it would take you, to count to 1 billion, it would take you 31 years, 251 days, 7 hours, 46 minutes, 40 seconds. So basically 32 years if you wanted to count to 1 billion. Now let me read that again. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And my question is, who counts all that? <laughs> like honestly, how do you even know that? That's huge. That is absolutely huge, just in our 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Now, now wait, it gets better. Uh, 
the universe, which I, I guess is a bigger place. The universe contains two trillion galaxies. Two, so is anyone computing this yet? Because if you are, I want to talk to you after the service, because how do you do that? Each with 100 billion stars. Two trillion galaxies with 100 billion stars. How do we even know that? I don't know. You can't, can you count to that? Can any of you count to that? 200 billion trillion stars in, our uni like in the universe? 200 billion trillion. And David says, I look at that, and God's glory and majesty and power is beyond that. You can't comprehend it. We, we can try. We, we try to put even labels on them. Like, maybe the scientists are like, yes, uh, 200 billion trillion. Like, come on. Like, that's, that's, that's incomprehensible. And as David is looking at these night stars and, and just seeing of the beauty and majesty of God, almost like a, a parent who has just gotten their kid to bed at night, that finally the baby is sleeping, and the next moment, it, all of a sudden, it cries out. Either a baby crying for uh, food or a toddler having a, a bad dream. David goes from looking at the night stars, all of a sudden his view is brought all the way down to the earthly tent where there is a child crying. This uh, gets our view from the heavens down to the earthly tent. Look, look in verse 2. He, he goes straight from considering this universe and galaxies all the way down to this little child. Verse 2 says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Stop right there. There, there is the simple cry of a baby or an infant, something so small and innocent that, that God is using to stop like this huge army, like men's strongest thing, their biggest battle, their biggest cry, and yet he's using out of the mouths of babies and infants to stop that, to still it. It's like the majesty of the universe is displayed on the simple sound from a child or a toddler. The, the innocence there. Um, I, I, when I read this, I, this is what I picture. Uh, when we were over in Slovenia, uh, we lived over there for seven years, and the decision to move overseas is one that's really cheered and like, yes, you can do it, you've got it. But the decision to move back to the States is really difficult, as you might imagine. Uh, so feeling like the Lord had ended our time in Slovenia was moving us back to the States, we wrestled through that a lot. We asked for a lot of uh, people, a lot of wise counsel. What should we do? Is this a decision we should make? Because we want to follow uh, the Lord. So we got a lot of wise counsel, and we still didn't know what to do. Uh, and I remember putting Abigail uh, to bed at night. She was about two years old at the time. We went through our whole bedtime routine. Uh, and I'm probably going to cry here because it's pretty like meaningful to me. Um, so just bear with me. I'll get through it. Put Abigail to bed in the midst of all this, and she's babbling. She's two-year-old. You know two-year-olds. And she said, Daddy, God talked to me. So two-year-old says, Daddy, God talked to me. I'm like, oh, that's great. 
thinking, whatever. And in the clearest voice that, I, that she had at the time, she said, she said, God told me, it's okay, you can leave now. Angels are kissing you. And then she went right back to babbling. And, and I like, I put her to bed quick and I just went downstairs and bawled. I thought the innocence of a child saying that. And I have to believe it was the Lord uh, because it was the Lord going, I see you, I care for you. You stay with me, you'll be okay. It doesn't matter what this decision is. The innocence of a child who didn't have any education, who didn't even really know how to talk, and God used that just innocent, you can, it's okay. I'm right there with you. You know, when David, when he was out in the starry skies going, look at all the beautiful stars, and then he, and then he brings it down to out of the mouths of infants and babes. I, I can't help but think that David's thinking of his forefathers, of Abraham and Sarah, who, as their old age, were thinking, is God forgetting about us? Does he not care? He promised something. Is he not strong enough? Like, what are we even supposed to do? And then the moment that their child was born and a scream goes out, a cry, what would that like? All those people that go, your God's not for you. Your God doesn't care. Your God's not powerful enough. All quieted and ceased when the baby cried. That's all you needed. Think of Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, Hannah, who birthed Samuel, who anointed David. All saw the majesty of God in their hands as babies. The majesty of a God who could create the universe through the cry of a child that silences the enemies. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't see you. You're all alone. You're forgotten, all silenced in the sound of a toddler, an infant. Well, the music continues to play now. The rhythm is, is picking up. The same rhythm invites us again. We've, we're considering this child. Again, he looks us, invites us to look up the heavens. And then he'll compare that to humanity again. Look in verse 3. When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the pass of the sea. Let, let's stop right there. But see, as David is looking up, he's looking up at this amazing universe in, in top of him. And it's not just the vastness, though, because he, he, he's ruminating, meditating on God all, did all of this with his fingers. With his fingers. With his finger, he put the earth in place. With the fingers, he put the sun and the moon and the stars all in, with his fingers. Like, like us picking up a, a piece of dirt and throwing it away. It was nothing for the Lord to do. So when you think of God putting everything uh, in place with his fingers, what's the scale of God? How big is God? Well, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Anyone? I have been. And I went out first time, and you step out on that ledge, and you're like, if you've been there, you know, you're like, whoa. 
This is amazing. It is huge. I even went to bed, and then the next morning when I got up and stepped on the ledge, I said, whoa, this is amazing. It just doesn't get old. It is unbelievable. You, you, just, you look at that, you stand on the edge, and you realize, how small are we as people? Have you ever been in an airplane? Uh, you've ever been in an airplane and you're taking off and you're looking down and you're like, oh, those cars are like ants. And, and Mount Hood, like from a distance, is like a little molehill. You're, you're screaming past cities and states. And you're like, whoa, how small are, are we? Well, then you think of the, the earth and how big the earth is. The earth is huge. I mean, it is huge. Uh, I did some figuring. How could how fast would it take to go around the the Earth? Uh, if you did, you'd have to go on an F eighty six. If you know airplanes, F eighty six max speed of about seven hundred miles an hour. If you went seven hundred miles an hour with no stops, no potty breaks, no eating, just seven hundred miles an hour in an F eighty six airplane around the circumference of the Earth, it would take you thirty six hours to fly seven hundred miles an hour around the Earth. It's huge. And God placed that in, in our galaxy with his fingers. Now let's put that little earth, well, actually huge earth, next to the sun. Which God placed as the finger, like little fingers in the universe. Uh, the earth next to our sun. You can see it there, right? Well, kind of, if you have glasses, maybe. The earth next to the sun. If we were going to take the same space as our huge earth and fill the sun with our earth, it would take 1.3 million earths to fill the volume of the sun. 1.3 million earths to fill the volume of the sun. And that's just our galaxy. And God placed all of it with his fingers. Can you comprehend that? Can you even imagine how vast and big and organized and sovereign God is. And the rhythm carries us on. And once again, turns our attention from the heavens to humanity below. God did this with all of his fingers. What, what kind of grace and mercy is this God to stoop down so low to be with weak humans, with these dirt beings God's plan, though, you can see all through history and in Psalm 8, God's plan is to display his majesty through the weakness of humanity, not our strength. It's not, when you think of that in scale and comparison, it is not in the powers of humans. It's not in how great we are. I mean, think about it. it doesn't, even if the best person ever, God is not impressed with the size of Shaquille O'Neal. Like, whoa, really big shoes. He doesn't care. Like, it is so small. Like, it is infinitesimal small. Elon Musk and all of his wealth, it's nothing compared to God. Your power, your position, your might, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. The majesty of God in the heavens, then, he says, is displayed and reflected through the weakness of humanity. And we think, I don't even understand that. Maybe like me, it's you're like me. It's just like, how does that even how does that even work? It's hard to see. We're like, where do you see God's majesty displayed in the earth? 
and I, I think so often we puff our chests out like we're somebody in this universe of things that I'm pretty good actually. Uh, and God goes, oh, you're missing it. You're missing my majesty because my majesty is displayed through humility. And all, all humans, there's this pride of sin that gets in us and then we, we puff our chest out and we, we think we want to do it on our, our own. So where is this majesty ultimately displayed in the earth then if it's through this weakness of humanity? We actually see that uh, when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus came and truly displayed the majesty of God, but he displayed it in this humble service and weakness. The the writer of Hebrews is is considering all this. In chapter 2 and verse 5, when he looks at Psalms 8 and he sees This is totally reflected in Jesus. Hebrews 2 and verse 5 says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, out of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. Well, we know. This is going to quote from Psalm Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower... You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So he's taking that verse, and now now he's going to do a commentary on it. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, uh, we do not see everything in subjection to him, meaning humanity. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The majesty of God displayed in the universe above is now reflected in this man, Jesus Christ, who became a servant and gave his life for everyone crowned with glory and honor because of his sufferings. We humans, we so fight against that. Uh, because of the sin, really ultimately in pride, like, I'm, I'm good enough. I know it. I know all the answers. I've got it all together. I want to be the best. I want to be strong. I want to have it all together. But what if it's actually through our humility and service that God is most displayed in the world? Jesus was the exact imprint the perfect reflection of the majesty. And when he was here, the people that missed it were the powerful people. The power, I got this on my own, and I'm reflecting my own majesty and glory, when really the people that got it were the innocent little children. Uh, Jesus, um, on Palm Sunday, when he marches into Jerusalem, and all these children are out there going, we see, we see the majesty of God in this servant, this humble man that's, that's come. We, we see God's ultimate power and majesty reflected in, in him. So they shout, Hosanna, blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And the rulers, the powers, the people with authority and power go, are you hearing this? Shut them up. And Jesus responds with Psalm 8. He's like, haven't you ever read Psalm 8 before? Isn't that in your repertoire of what you should sing? If if you did, you would get it. In Matthew 21, 16, it says, And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? 
There's these scholars, these like the powerful people, the knowledgeable people. Haven't you read? Don't you get it? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. It's not the powerful leaders. It's the innocence of a child. Don't you know Psalm 8? That God's majesty is displayed through the weakness of humanity? Like, like children. Don't, don't you get it? It's not about you. It's not, it's not about your strength and how good you are. But that's about your humble service. A weakness that really displays to the world God's majesty and power. It's, it's upside down, isn't it? The whole, the whole thing is upside down. Or maybe it's right side up. And we just live in a world that's upside down. Well, the good news is this. If you're, if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I feel weak. I don't, I don't know enough. I came to Christ too late in life. I, I, I'm, I really don't have much to offer the Lord. Uh, you know, I've got these health things. I've got these problems with my family. Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm, just weak. I'm just broken. I'm in, insignificant to the kingdom of God. Psalm 8 says, no, you're not. He cares for you. He sees you. He walks with you. It's not in your strength that he shows the world how great he is, but in your, your weakness and your humility to display the majesty of God through, through perhaps what you, you don't have. Psalm 8 is also a wake-up call for those of us who think, yeah, I've got it all together. I think, I think Christ would be pretty pleased with me. I, I, I've, I'm a pretty good re- representation of his kingdom in the world. I, I've got lots of uh, answers for things. I, I've, I know what I'm doing. Um, the invitation this morning is to remember that, that God invited you to be a child of his. A child. Just this innocence, this humility, that as you come to him, it's not about you. It's about what he can do in and through you and through your weakness. So let's pray, and then we'll respond with some worship. Lord, it's such an upside-down kingdom that you've brought here, that it's not in the wise and educated and powerful of our world that you are most displayed, but it's through the the frailty and the weakness, that when we give that over to you, Lord, that you can use in powerful ways, that you can, you can use uh, our brokenness and weakness to display to our neighbors that we're resting totally on you and that you are a good and merciful and patient and loving God. And so, Lord, I, I pray that even as a community of people that follow after you that are worshiping you, Lord, that we would we'd be bold and courageous enough to allow people to see uh, our weakness. That that'd be humble enough um, towards each other. That the light of you would would come through those cracks in our in our lives, and that you would be most glorified in us when we humble ourselves to come to you. And so even as, even as we sing now, Lord, I, I pray that we would not sing out of our strength, but we'd sing out of our, our need for you and the weakness, that we could display your majesty to the world, how a God who created the billions and trillions of stars would care for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.